Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Podside. Uh, I am here, as is becoming more the case, with uh, our our newest co-host. Is it co with just with three? I there should be a word for. Okay, I'm going off. I, I'm I am with. <laughs> sorry. Poly, I, uh, polycule host. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> my, my poly host, Carlo. Uh, I guess you could say he's the Sharnas to my Thaddeus Zoe. And we are here to talk about, uh, well, House of Secrets, the the original, the first uh, Vampire the Rasquerade novel, and related things. How's it going, Carlo? It's going super well. And you know what? I'm going to up the ante by doing that. Okay. It's well, my, uh, piping hot can of Vitae. I am going to... Oh, you can't even hear it. Here, I'll... I, I'll Is put it? two bottles together here. I've got Chairman's Reserve right next to me and Kirk and Sweeney's, and I'm making myself a little cocktail as well. Sounds good. You're going to mix it up with some uh, sweet, sweet human blood? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Them- thematic to our episode today? Yeah. I'm... Uh... You know, there's there's not a big market for Cuban blood in Kansas. I actually get weird looks at the store. <laughs> you know, the Bay of Pigs was really a different uh, mission altogether. We just don't know about it. Exactly. There is um, a darker world. But, um, yeah, while you're mixing that up, I'll just give a, a mini primer. So this is – I had mentioned it before, but um, it bears repeating – this is the first tie-in novel, uh, not to the actual game of Vampire the Masquerade, but its card, a collectible card game, which was originally called Jihide with a Y, and they very wisely uh, that came out in nineteen ninety-three. And very wisely, by 1995, they renamed it uh, for sensitivity and uh, you know, broader appeal to Vampire the Eternal Struggle. Um, and uh, so the, the novel is a tie-in to sort of World of Darkness Light, like I like to call it, but it's mostly based off of the card game. And uh, it's sort of an interesting little book in that sense. I did not know any of that. That's really cool. You know, I I have uh, a little off-topic thing to thank you for, Carlo. Oh, Uh, good. Yes. uh, This is roundabout and strange, but, you know, that's the podcast. So um, you, you sent me the PDF for the book. And there's a limited amount of time. Like, you've got to pick it up within a couple of days or it disappears. Okay. And I'm like, ugh, I want a copy anyway. And so I went out to drive through RPG to download my own copy. And when I did, like, first I tried to set up an account. And it's like, you already have an account. I'm like, <laughs> what? And so I go in there and apparently... 12 years ago, while drunk, I ordered like 100 bucks worth of stuff on drive-thru RPG. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I have like all the old Judges Guild modules and maps and stuff. And I'm like, this is an amazing little gift, you know? Yeah. All right. All right. That's cool. So you're just reconnecting with your, uh, your, your older super gamer self on RPG.net. Yep, I, and you know it's it's funny like that that temptation to download uh, whole modules from the past is always with me, and I've always thought I resisted it. And apparently, there was a night when I did not. So, <laughs> well, apparently, you need some inebriation for that. <laughs> from what I'm hearing, kids kids 
don't let uh, your your friends get drunk and get on our RPG.net. It's a bad influence. Yes, yes. It can only lead to bad things. Uh, so uh, I did want to talk a little bit before we get into the book uh, about simply uh, how, because this is a, ostensibly a story, it is based off of the collectible card game, but there is a story here. Uh, and uh, we made reference to it uh, in, in the intro where, you know, we're talking about Charnas to Thaddeus Zoe, who were both actually cards that exist in the card game. Um, but they have been made into characters in this story uh, in service to one Ventru Archon, Kurt Westfall, uh, who is trying to figure out... Um, why a certain Tremere mage or, or Tremere clan, uh, yeah, Magus or whatever, uh, is trying to make uh, contact with a another actual human mage in the world of darkness and uh, uncovers an entire sort of uh, uh, secret uh, conspiracy amongst the uh, clan Tremere who was once House Tremere from Ars Magica. And the reason I wanted to get into that is simply because it, it when I found that out, it sort of gave me like this crossover feeling, that little thrill that you're like, oh, this is like a crossover or like the world is bigger and older than you think. Um, and so Ars Magica had supposedly this is set in the medieval uh, medieval times, like uh, 11th century or so. Um, and it's all about sort of what being a wizard would have been during that time period. And it was, it won awards for being like super, you know, accurate as accurate as you can be <laughs> and be wizards. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, like it, it had sort of like a class distinction and uh, supposedly you would, uh, you would uh, have a troop. Uh, so you would make your own character, like your main wizard character. But since your wizard was going to probably spend a lot of his time, like researching and making spells or making magic items or whatever um it the the focus was that uh it was such a small amount of time in a in like a cycle that the wizard would actually be adventuring that you'd need to have other characters that were not a wizard so you'd have like maybe one of the retainers or you know a servant or what have you it was a really interesting uh, idea and amongst the uh, wizard uh, uh, organizations, uh, these were all under the um, Hermetic Order. Uh, there was a House Tremere. Uh, and I understand, uh, supposedly you're supposed to pronounce it Tremere, but I've always said a Tremere. I'm going to not shift that at this point. So suck it, nerds. <laughs> Sorry for you. Um so House Tremere was an actual house under the Hermetic Order. And uh, sometime in the, the mid-11th uh, century, they realized that magic was fading from the world. The, the old spells from the Golden Age are no longer working as well. The Silver Age, which they were currently in, was slowly, like, things were diminishing. And uh, House Tremere's idea was to figure out a way, given that they were very regimented uh, and very ambitious, to figure out a way how uh, of, of making sure that their magic would withstand the, you know, the, the passage of time. And one of their uh, Council of Seven, uh, specifically a guy named Goratrix, who uh, later on appears in the book, uh, at least as a voice, um, <laughs> a booming voice, <laughs> very booming. Um, uh, Gortrix figures out that he can, uh, because vampires manage to perform a type of magic, that uh, he sort of figures out. Oh well, we'll we'll be able to turn into vampires and preserve our magic, and uh, basically that's what they did. They the the entire house or the the upper echelons. Uh, turned themselves into vampires and <laughs> invited the in in the in mythos uh, or in uh, game mythos the mark of Cain upon themselves and uh, so then they became clan Tremere um, 
And they were initially uh, thought to be complete usurpers, not helped by the fact that sometime later on, uh, they found because they knew that they needed to secure power, uh, they f- they sought out in the old um, the old writings uh, of the Book of Nod, which is an actual in-game thing. Um, the they found out the resting places of one of the ancient uh, vampires uh, that were the third generation from Cain, uh, and they diablerized uh, Salot. Uh, and drank his blood, drank his blood. Um, you know, Tremere himself was the one to, uh, diablerize him. And then, uh, everyone else became sort of bound to him. And, and, and within the, 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 the game itself, like the world of darkness aspect of it, um, Tremere was very, uh, hierarchically structured. So from top down, everyone sort of blood bound to the, to, the Council of Seven, and then uh, who were the, the the main body below the founder of the house or clan, and then uh, everyone below them is then bloodbound to the next level up. And uh, if you if it sounds like it's a giant pyramid, that's because it's exactly that. And Trem- the house or clan Tremere in the um, in the World of Darkness games was supposed to be like this sort of wink and a nod to the Illuminati. Okay, um, I want to stay, take a step back here because it occurs to me that there's a percentage of our viewers who are viewers, listeners, who aren't really familiar with uh, Vampire, the Masquerade. And so I, I, I want to give a two-minute summary of how that works because this may be sort of a what's-going-on situation. <laughs> if you can't figure – if you haven't figured it out from what I just said – uh, Vampire of the Masquerade has a long, uh, like a very like ancient level of mythos built into the game. So uh, the the way it works out here is that the main vampire, the first vampire in the world, was Cain, and uh, he because he was cursed by God, he received the mark of Cain, and that is uh, what later generations of vampires claim. To have been descended from Cain himself, of Cain and Abel fame, and uh, so Cain is the 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 major one guy. Uh, there was a second generation of vampires who were basically killed uh, by Cain himself, and then the third generation, which are the the fathers and and uh, progenitors, I should say. Uh, of the current 13 clans of vampires uh, are the ones that are called antediluvians, which uh, basically they survived the flood in biblical times and the destruction of the world. Um, So in the game, pretty much everyone starts out at the 13th generation. Uh, So they're far removed from all those big movers and shakers. But there is an inherent uh, sort of paranoia in the game itself, which is that all the old vampires basically are behind the scenes and they're pulling the strings, sometimes subtly, and sometimes not so subtly, to make things happen in the real world. So this is like, if you think of Vampire the Masquerade as sort of like a, a secret history narrative, you're, that'll probably serve you as the most useful type of tool to understand what's happening. And we are more talking about the card game than anything here. But uh, for the flavor of the book and for the flavor of the role-playing game, um, there's there's two kinds of role-playing games. There are lawyer role-playing games where the significance is the statistics and the math and trying to min-max your character and doing all of these things. And then there are ones that are based upon, upon um, dialogue and improv and having conversations with, with other players of the game. And it's, it's a lot more about the fantasy element itself. And World of Darkness is very much in that second category. It might be like the... It, it certainly 
was critical to launching that revolution in role playing games. I mean, uh, when I was when I was uh, gosh in college, I was vaguely aware of people who would go out and find like isolated tunnels in the school or something like that and pretend to be vampires and talk all night just having a, a session like this and it wasn't a session like a regular game where you'd sit down and roll got dice you would it would entirely be role playing yeah i mean and and they they moved on like later on white wolf um uh, took over like uh, just to fill out a little bit white wolf uh took over or merged with the original company that brought out Ars Magica. And then um, later on, after uh, Vampires, the Masquerade second edition came out uh, some years after that, they came out with like a LARPing guide um, and the mind's eye theater. Uh, and, you know, obviously it was uh, I, I've, I've had my brushes with that as well. Um, I don't remember. Have I have I mentioned on air the the story about the LARPing uh, in Puerto Rico? I think you talked about it a little bit. Keep going. Yeah. So the the, the LARPing is interesting, uh, and from what I've heard, uh, at the very least, I am pleased that I did not get any further into that because of the dynamics and weirdness and just uh, using role playing. Uh, and play acting for other not so great and being you know great reasons and being a creep, but uh, the 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 session that I went to, uh, I was going in as a supposed Nosferatu. Obviously, I can't make myself look that ugly, but I wore like a rumpled flannel shirt and whatnot, and I was introduced and people like I noticed right away that uh, these were uh, everyone was wearing like these long sleeve black shirts. This is in 85 degree evening weather in Puerto Rico. Um, I don't know how those people survived. And then later on, we went to a bar, which uh, is old Spanish architecture. If you've ever been in a small space, that is like that uh, Spanish architecture. It's very small. The heat stays right in the in the bricks and the in the the structure. And I had not seen so many uh, sweating <laughs> vampires collected in one place ever. Uh, it, it was truly magnificent. Uh, and and by the time I left, I was like, you know what? Forget it. I, I maybe this was a mistake. As I was walking down the street, that's when the guys with the uh, leather dust, like the giant ankle length leather duster showed up. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. (laughs) Well, and I'm I'm always torn when when I hear about things like this, because uh, on the one hand, um, I have this deep seated like cool motivated fear of looking ridiculous so when i see somebody else looking ridiculous i always cringe but at the same time good for them i mean like they're going out doing something bizarre and having fun i think more people should do that yeah i mean they were living their their best immortal lives sweating profusely (laughs) yes i mean i mean i would want ice water but what the hell (laughs) yeah it's it's all good you know as long as no one's yeah no one's necessarily uh being harmed or anything like that i'm fine with that uh but yeah anyway my uh experience with uh world of darkness i played the actual uh role-playing game and then when this game came out because this was the this was the third collectible card game to ever come out one and it was the second game that richard garfield uh designed which if anyone knows who richard if no one knows who richard garfield is there's a small game that has since fallen out of favor called magic the gathering that's not a thing anymore right oh i i thought he did that uh that uh that that cat who hated mondays davis whatever he's called (laughs) jim davis (laughs) That's a lasagna for you, friend. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, Richard Garfield designed this game. And it's a very, uh, just to get into the, how the game itself works, it's a very strange game, uh, a very 
more complex than Magic the Gathering. Gathering, or I'm sorry, Magic. You, uh, you're a wizard. You have your library. You cast. You, you put down your lands. You tap the lands for mana. You summon creatures and/or use the mana for spells. And you make you deal direct damage to the opposing player. Um, you just described like two thousand dollars in three years of my life, dude. Believe, believe me, I was there. I was there. I, <laughs> I jumped out. I think like when Legends came out, and I was glad for it because, holy shit, th- that would be lots and lots of money. Yep. Um. So Vampire the Masquerade uh, is you can play it at two players, but when it really starts to shine is three players between the three to five player range. Uh, the games are long. Uh, and the issue is that it's very regimented. So you are a supposed to be a Methuselah, one of the older vampires, who is then influencing the events that are happening at the table. And you will have a crypt uh, deck, which is the vampires that you can recruit. And then you will have a, a library, or I forget what the other one was. but um, And then you can start to put vampires into play and you can only attack or bleed your uh, left-handed opponent, right? So the thing here is that you have a 30, 30 points to deal with it, the blood points. But um, for you to bring anyone into play or do a lot of actions, like many of the actions require you to actually spend your own blood. So you're slowly, you, you have to gauge and be cautious uh, in how you go about attacking your opponent because the fact of the matter is you're sort of killing yourself as you're killing, if you try, at the same time that you're trying to kill your opponent. And granted, it's not, you're not killing, killing them, uh, but you're simply using the blood is supposed to be a metaphor for your influence. And once you've spent it all, that's it. You're out of the game. And you knew, uh, if you're able to eliminate your opponent, you get a little reprieve. You get six points from you know from his pool uh, back. So anyway, the point being that it's a little bit more com- uh, complex uh, a game than, than, say, Magic the Gathering is. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean, yeah, you you can you can play a style like that in Magic: The Gathering. I I remember where you end up using spells that that drain your own life to do things on the the game board, but it's a tremendously risky and unusual one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, maybe we should talk about the the book. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, uh, so house, go ahead. I was just going to ask you. So, given that I had read this and I just recently reread this. Tell me about your experience reading House of Secrets, Pete. Okay. Well, the the first thing that leapt out at me was early on, which was there was a uh, there was a, a a a Toreador character in Miami in the first chapter named Carlo Rodriguez, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh come on, dude." <laughs> you know? like, was he? He was a writer, and it was very strange. <laughs> <laughs> like did you just make up this whole novel like <laughs> um well i mean it was very interesting like i didn't have a lot of the 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 backstory that you shared with us about its relationship to the card game cuz i have a tendency not to think about card games as as writing jump starters at all like i know there's a whole bunch of books based around magic the gathering and uh they just don't look like anything to me i've never picked one up you know but uh, this was interesting reading it out of the blue because it felt very much like a World of Darkness role-playing session. Like things were divided into scenes and the scenes felt like they were a session. Like here's one happening in London. Here's one happening in Miami. Here's one happening in Vienna. Like it just felt like that. Clip, clip, clip. And... Uh, most of the things were happening were very dependent on the uh, the bloodline and traits of the characters involved. So, I mean, if you had a Ventru, Ventrus are very like vain and manipulative. It's like by looking at somebody's bloodline, you got a very good sense of what the character was going to be. Mm-hmm. The third thing was that as the historical figures started coming up, 
I found that really interesting as well. Like, um, oh, the Harry Houdini was in this. I mean, because one of the nice things about doing a vampire uh, novel is that you can grab very old and interesting people and throw them into the mix. And who's going to say no, right? Right. And at one point, uh, John D showed up, and I'm like, you know what? Uh, you you guys are really missing a bet here. Like, why would you put John D in here when you could have Aleister Crowley? And 20 pages later, sure enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't wrong there. Exactly. And so it was, I mean, I, um, for what it was, like, I would not have recommended this for uh, Hugo at the time. Uh mm-hmm. I I loved it. I I thought it I thought it was a fun romp. I thought it was silly in the right places. I felt like it was it would be a good module, frankly. Yeah, yeah I mean, I I've, as I was rereading it, the thing that struck me was how, like how I would like to be honest with you, those two authors, uh, Kevin A. Murphy and James Moore. I, I'm sort of jealous that I never got to play vampire or any one of the storyteller games with them because the sense of play that is, that is in the book is really something. Uh, and, and the, the titular artifact, if you want to call it, um, the house of secrets is a thing. Uh, it's simply a, I, I hesitate to call it a, a big dumb object because it's not really a dumb object. It's a magical object, yeah. uh, and so it's a plot mover for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. And and it's it makes perfect sense for once you get introduced to how it works, which is that uh, the the one of the co protagonists, if you want to call it that, uh, Ilse de Cameron, who is a Tremere uh, vampire, uh, is has been given an iron key, and she needs to. Uh, activate it with uh, like cutting her her finger open or whatever and spilling blood on the key and then fit it into a lock. Uh, what was it? She needed to be lost uh, and no one know where she was. Yeah. And uh, she could then turn around and fit that key into any lock. And it was like a skeleton key that would open up into the House of Secrets, which is like this uh, extra dimensional pocket, uh, which... Who knows how big it is? Uh, I did like the um, the nod, which I don't know if you you caught it. Uh, is it Mary Winchester was one of the one of the two ladies that was key, a keeper of the house? Yes. Yeah, so, which, yeah, which is great. The house. Good point. Yeah. Um, I I I did like sort of wince a little bit. It wasn't too bad, but there was a couple of moments where I was like. Mm. <laughs> This seems like a little bit own voices. Uh, oh, <laughs> this would are, cause a problem with own voices, people. Are, are you thinking about uh, John D. discussing Doctor Who? Uh, not so well. <laughs> there was yes, folks. There was racism against English people. It's it was really horrible to, to witness. However, will they survive? <laughs> <laughs> they they said mean things about their cooking. Um, uh, no, I was thinking more along. Uh, shit, I forgot her name. Uh, Mammy something. Who was the other keeper of, oh. the, of the house? And then uh, there was a couple of uh, uh, like dialogue with Charnas the imp. Yes, I know exactly where he what was you're talk- talking. About. Yeah, where he's talking about uh, you know being a, a good servant. I'm not gonna repeat it here because it's not really. But it just sort of like I was like, oh, 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 yeah. Nowadays, that's not going to fly. Granted, this was written, what, 93, 95? Yeah, yeah. It came out in 95. So we could assume yeah, 90, 93, 94. Um, I, I, was, I was still, I mean, granted, those were a couple of like cringy moments. But there are other moments where I was like, oh, this is surprisingly much better than I, than I uh, expected it to be. Uh, when they're talking about like that, you know, they, they're talking about transsexuals and stuff like that. And it wasn't horrible. There were still some problems there, but it, it was generally more positive and much more is ahead of the curve in 95. So there was also, um, at least two rape scenes. Oh yeah. No, that, 
I was like thinking about that and going like, hey. yeah. Well, and I mean, the thing is, I mean, like, I'm not defending it because they shouldn't have been in there. Uh, yeah. Like, they didn't advance the plot in a useful way at all, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I I do believe the decision was made uh, when it was made because it wasn't. Uh, I, I I don't know how to say it. Like the 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 stakes weren't as raised at that point on those things. Like like I I don't I don't think the culture was having as open a series of conversations about that. Right. And I mean, so I, you know they I, just did it. Yeah, I would I would definitely categorize both of those as being like fridge fridging your women moments, uh, except that it's instead of fridging, they're raping, and it's like uh, no, yeah, not it, good. It, it it was it was completely unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, like even moving past the bad, it was stupid. There was no good reason to do that. I mean, all all, all you did was make a significant percentage of your readers flinch. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But you know, uh, again, ninety-five. Uh, it it probably wasn't cool then, but it was, yeah. I, like you said, it wasn't. I don't think it's that prominent a thing in the conversation uh, as it is now. Right. And, yeah, and and to be fair, like the conversations we're having now are difficult, but absolutely necessary. Right. Right. Well, and I mean, I could certainly see a scenario today where. Um, an an author writing an adventure story of some kind used a rape to advance advance the plot, but I think it's very likely the editor in question would have some concerns. Right. Yeah. But, you know, um, that was a little harrowing, both of those uh, scenes. And I remember thinking, oh, no. (laughs) I'd I'd sort of forgotten those, and I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) Well, you know what? I think we there was some stuff like that in Burning Bright that was inappropriate. Mm, I mean, well, not not as in that mm-hmm. sense, but there were some things where it was like, oh, come on, like you know, the guy's relationship to his wife. I mean, his ex-wife, who his, still event that still, bitch. <laughs> well, that and not only uh, his ex-wife also uh, wanted to keep you know, like have him over to to stay the night, and you're like, oh, come on, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, that goes somewhere good for sure. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, uh, but but again, in Burning Bright, I think it's it's specifically put in that particular sentiment is put in not because saving anyone would be a good thing, but because you need to have a spur for the male character to oh, you got to do this right thing, and you're like, oh, come on, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. I well. At any rate, I think with, without actually talking about the plot of the book much at all, I, I, th- I think we did a pretty good st- uh, description of it. The, the basic idea is uh, the, the Ventru Kurt uh, follows the Tremere Ilsa trying to piece together what she's doing, and it turns out the Tremere are doing a – or attempting to do – uh, an extremely powerful ritual that is going to sort of change the rules of the vampire game. And everybody's got to pick a side and mess, mess, mess. And I like that stuff. I, um, most of my experience, I hear your dog and I love your dog, man. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to have to ask you to pause just a second. Can we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Okay. Anyway, as I was saying, uh, I do like uh, I do like it when a when a when a story based upon a role playing game sort of reaches to that larger world and raises stakes and does things like potentially changes the rules. Because the nice thing about that, it's like uh, well, you know, one of the things Joss Whedon learned early on is that if you're going to keep people focused on your show, you have to randomly murder a person. And that doesn't really work so well when you're talking about these these role-playing tie-ins. But what you can do is threaten to change the rules. And that actually does work because periodically they actually do it. Like if they're rolling out a new system or they're having a spin-off, they can actually do that to you. 
And right. so I think it's a pretty effective way to raise the stakes. And I, I like the fact that they flirted with that. Right. Well, I, I thought that it was an interesting, um, because uh, as is sometimes the case, and perhaps an overused tactic is that, oh, well, the world's going to end or something, right? Sure. And this wasn't that. This was mainly a personal, uh, the, 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 the wish to write a personal wrong or a moral failing uh, of one of the big movers and shakers uh, in, the, in that game world. And that was, as I was rereading it, I was like thinking, this is not saving the world. This isn't going to end the world. And it's like you said, it, it is going to change the rules, but uh, it's not going to end the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. It's a good way to look at it. I, I mean, overall, uh, I guess for everybody out there, if you're trying to decide whether you should go out and read this book, Sure. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know your, your attraction to RPG tie-ins. I'd say it's a good one of that. But like I said, I, I wouldn't be throwing a Hugo or a Nebula award down. It's fun. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's enough. Right. Well, and, and um, these are the same two authors. We had mentioned it before uh, that there was uh, a couple of stories from the, um, the Mage Anthology set in The World of Darkness. Uh, that you had read uh, Silver Nutmeg, Golden Pear, and uh, Grim Reminders uh, that also touch upon Charnus the Imp, who is a minor or secondary character here. Uh, and he is, the, he is a card in the game, but he's also supposed to be in the story uh, a lesser reflection of Charnus, uh, Lord of Misrule, a, a, a major demon. And uh, I forget where I was going with this, but uh, the, 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 the point I think I was trying to make is that it, it sort of ties in interestingly in that sense. Right on. So um, what was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to talk more about the card game? I know that was one of your draws into this. Yes. Let's let's talk about it. And, and to be fair, like I um, speaking of uh, bad influences, uh, I reread this and uh, sort of bid on this collection of like nearly 3000 <laughs> Vampire the Eternal Struggle cards <laughs> and won the bid. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we may be playing this uh, at some point in the future uh, somehow on the discord. But um, the, the point being that it reminded me of me sitting down with all my friends and having like this weird, raucous uh, game. And I think we at one time we had a table that everyone wanted to jump in and it was like 12 players. It was it was insufferable. And then like as time went on, because this is a long game, even with three players, um, the the players would tap out and basically give some of your opponents extra points. And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, the, the real, the real uh, world aspect of it is that, yeah, you want to go out and go drink with your buddies. You weren't expecting it to be like three hours of a card game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're well, already at the bar. And you're recording the, you're rewarding the people you like. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You know, it it tempts me to go out and uh, and order some cards myself. Like that would be an interesting result. Well, I mean, the the thing is, it's a it's a very um, it's got a very weird structure to it, and I'm trying to recall it because I'm I'm working from memory. But there was a series of different cards that you could play, and each one had their specific time. Uh, to be played I, I think it each person's round uh, was like divided up into like through at the very least three if not four different specific stages and um and and one of the funny things is that, that there are like these political uh cards that you can play that are 
you know, weirdly in 1990, I'd never heard uh, something that I've heard so many times in the last, you know, two years, which is Praxis. Oh, God. <laughs> and there, there were Praxis cards, uh, which are basically um, political votes that you could then uh, throw down and have the other players decide. And generally, you I think it was like a wager. You could wager some of your blood pool or influence. And whoever won the vote would then, you know, divide or you know, what have you, the uh, the blood the blood tokens that were uh, taken from that vote. Uh, so you know, anyway, and which is in fact precisely what that first scene that seems to be somewhat separate from the rest of the story of the book uh, in House mm-hmm. of Secrets. Which is Praxis Miami, which is basically uh, Kurt Westfall as an archon uh, of uh, in card game uh, character Democritus, who is a, a Justicar. Uh, so the archons are sort of like uh, uh, enforcers, and sort of if you think of it in non sort of Roman and or Latin phraseology, uh, a Justicar is just basically a mob boss. He's sort of like a, a a major like a made guy within that vampire clan, uh, who is in char- who's in charge of um, keeping the the Camarilla intact, and doing it by whatever means possible. Uh, which the Camarilla, if no one knows what that is, is basically uh, all the the or the masquerade, I should say. The Camarilla is the organization of vampires who have all sort of agreed that masquerade should be kept, which is basically that vampires should not be blatant about them their existence. Uh, they should be secretive, and any uh, actions that they take should, should be able to be explained in mundane fashions that are not vampiric and or magical or supernatural. So my proposal here is that we do some research of how people play cards online using cameras. Like yes. What's what's that what's that system? And if we if we can do it on the cheap, I think we should absolutely do this. And I mean, we could we could do it with more than one thing, man. I'd love to 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 whip your butt in Legends, for example. <laughs> <laughs> legends, which legends of the Five Rings? Oh no, I I meant uh, Magic the Gathering Legends. Oh, Magic the Gathering Legends. <laughs> Aha. Um, although I mean, magic at least has an online factor, so we don't necessarily oh, that's true. we don't necessarily have to figure that out. But um, and it would probably be cheaper too. But uh, some of the older games, that's the that's the thing. Because I think the first thing I looked up was like, is there a Vampire: The Eternal Struggle online? And yeah, I was just googling that right now, huh? I, I yeah, I can't find it myself. Um, but yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, I think that maybe uh, two, you know, like we both have to have cameras sort of facing down, probably if there's no online component and uh, see what what goes on from there. Uh, I mean, th- we could also do the uh, the Middle Earth card uh, card game as well. The one, yeah. D- well, I mean, Tom Bombadil alone would would. <laughs> mandate that <laughs> yes yes indeed uh but that that's the that's the one that was prior to uh the movies coming out which is uh i, I don't i've never played the the one that came out with the the movie artwork it might be for all i know the same game but it was uh it, the one that i played was just simply fantastic i loved it uh, awesome yeah, I, I mean, all I really did was Magic the Gathering, and then there was an online card game called Spellstorm that I got really into. Spellstorm was the the TSR one, right? Am I... It maybe, maybe I I I think it might have been an independent product, but the the basic idea was that you you tra- trained up creatures, and there was a uh, God, like a vor aspect where you could feed a, a creature to a to a weaker creature to make it stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Seems rather cruel. Yes, it does. Uh, well, one of one of the things I really remember is that we, as the game was starting to slow down, one of the guys who had clearly spent 
hundreds of dollars in the game and was constantly practicing, recorded a video of taking all of his rare and powerful creatures and feeding it to the weakest creature in the game and then logging out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that is... So we're done here is what you're telling me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's an interesting, uh, interesting in-game uh, defiance or something. Uh, I'm not even sure what that is. But yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of like, uh, like if the the monks that immolated themselves were card game players. You know, it's yeah. I'm just gonna burn my entire deck. Here you go. Bye. Yeah, it reminds me of. A, you, are you familiar with pot latching? Uh, you mean? Uh, no, I'm, maybe I'm not. Oh. Well, it's a, it's a, there's, I believe it's in the Pacific Northwest, but it's definitely a Native American tradition. And it's a, it's a, it's a contest basically, you know, who's, who's the bigger man based upon who can give away more of his stuff. Mm, okay. Yep. I can see that. And, and it, that's sort of what it is. It's like, I'm going to set everything of value of mine on fire because I'm a badass. And I'm like, well, okay. that is kind of badass actually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it sort of is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, what other, yeah, I, I definitely remember also playing like around the same time the the Legend of the Five Rings game as well. So I'm not I, I'm not even sure I'm, I'm going to get into that because that's a whole other a whole other thing. Yep, yep. I I I, I believe I played one or two RPG sessions of that, and that was it. Um, so uh, let's talk taxonomy for a minute. Uh, we're still doing this under the umbrella of crap books, but we're there. There's definitely some of these that are moving in a certain direction, mm-hmm. and that is like RPGs and the collectible card games. And maybe over time, we can think about you know having that be its own thing. I I'm okay with that. I mean, to be honest with you, like uh, I think that uh, something RPG related. Given that it's, I mean, it's still happening. It's just simply now it's moved on to sort of more, I mean, there are still RPGs, but I believe that there's probably more people that are coming in instead of coming in through, say, you know, uh, uh, Vampire or, you know, the uh, Dragons, uh, Dragonlance Chronicles or what have you. Mm-hmm. Now they're coming in through Halo novelizations or, you know, like some fanfic of final fantasy or something who knows oh yeah or or uh like uh ps4 games or whatever yeah yeah i mean i i don't doubt it like i you just said that and i'm I'm imagining there has to be like some bioshock novelization tie-in somewhere right oh absolutely i know there are mass effect ones because i have some somewhere and the only reason i haven't suggested them is that i don't remember it being worth the effort (laughs) (laughs) well i thank you for that pete (laughs) yeah well i mean i i'm saving your miserable experience for funny ones like (laughs) yeah yeah i mean uh and and to be fair this uh this book is is definitely a crap book but it is one that uh, falls more on the not so crap book pile for me mainly because it's fun it's fun it was well written you know it has many flaws, but I enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it, even though I cringed in several places. Right. It's like, um, you know those Pepperidge Farm Milan cookies? Like, when <laughs> yeah. I was little, I thought those were high-end cookies. And now I know that they're crap cookies, but they are among the best crap cookies. And that's <laughs> how I feel about this book. Yeah, I feel like, I, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. And, and and to be fair, like if anyone is interested in reading this, uh, to be fair, the sort of mystical aspects of this and the backstory of who and how this complex multi-part ritual is going to take effect is so bananas and amazing in a certain sense that I that would be price of entry alone. Uh, like the whole sequence of how Etrius, who is one of the Council of Seven of the Tremere clan, is going to then do what he wants to do and how he's going to sort of offset 
the curse that he uh, that he brought upon himself by choosing to become a vampire is so it's so bonkers. I I think I I can't I I was just like grinning like a like a numbskull throughout <laughs> throughout that part because I was like, oh my god, this I remember. Okay, I remember this. That's yeah. It's. I do, I do like that feeling of going back. One another thing I want to do is there's a whole series of books that are not direct RPG tie-ins, but they're attempts by fantasy authors to get on that wave. Like uh, there was one called Quag Keep, and there was one by Matthew Woodring Stover called Heroes Die where the idea is it's a fantasy realm, but on some level it's also a game too. Mm, okay. And I think that would be a fun thing to explore, like figure out where some of the, the, the more fun ones are. Gosh, I think Jerry Parnell and Larry Niven did a couple, actually. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, they did everything. I mean, yeah, like... that's true. I mean, uh, to be fair, I'm, I'm much less charitable uh, with Niven and Parnell, mainly because of their horrible politics outside of writing. <laughs> yes. Well, and to be fair, inside of their writing, you can find some horrible things. Well, that's also true. Like, uh, I, I think that in the Discord, I don't remember if I was the one that asked it or somebody else did, but we were discussing, like, why is it exactly that libertarian weirdos and conservatives and just, like, reactionaries are the ones that are always dealing interest in interesting ways with economic issues in sci-fi? And it's it, it it's like a curse. It really is. Like I I sort of once you start seeing it, you start noticing that it's lacking in other people that would be more sort of liberal or left you know left leaning. Uh, you, you don't see those questions pop up, and it's it's just infuriating because then why why aren't they doing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, well, it's uh, I. It, I think about it a lot too. I was going to come out with some dumb theories, but there's no need for me to. We, I mean, we're—I think we're both in agreement that the current situation sucks, and we don't necessarily have an answer at the moment. Right. Um, I, you know, before I was talking about, you know, wanting to talk to you about magic systems and stuff, but we're probably—we're—we're we're getting close to the 50-minute mark here, so maybe we should just save that for another time. Um, sure thing. We could do okay. that. Awesome. Uh, all right, and then. Um... Yeah, that should be it for right now. Uh, okay. Tune in, tune in next month for another episode of Crap Books. <laughs> Take care, everybody, and right. uh, enjoy your Halloween. <laughs>